In the last 48 hours, all of us have been shocked by the terrorist attacks that took place in Paris. As we pray for the dead and the injured, we are left wondering, what is the next step? Where does this seemingly endless cycle of jihadist attacks on the West end? What can possibly bring this long, complex conflict to some kind of peaceful resolution? I saw a movie recently called Snowpiercer. It had a very imaginative premise. The world had descended into a new ice age, destroying all life on the planet, except for one group of people aboard an enormously long train, powered by an everlasting engine. It ran on a set of tracks that spanned the globe. The train was called the Snowpiercer because it was designed to plow through this thick snowpack that would build up on the tracks. The Snowpiercer functioned sort of like Noah's Ark, except that for the people on the train, there was no hope that the Ice Age would eventually end, and so the train became their new reality. Predictably, the train becomes split along class lines. Up front, in the first-class cabins, the wealthy live in decadent luxury, while in the back cars, the poor live in squalor, packed together like canned sardines. In the movie, a group of rebels from the rear of the train has finally had it. So they revolt, fighting their way out of the filthy cattle cars that they are imprisoned in, and moving up, hoping to take control of the engine room and run the train. As they are fighting their way up through the various cabins, the rebels are amazed at the luxury and the plenty that the first-class passengers lived in compared to what they had. But two of the rebels, a father and daughter pair, are more interested in taking note of the snowy landscape outside. Back in the rear, the cars didn't have windows, so these glimpses of the outside world are a novelty to them. Yet the other rebels seem only concerned with what, what, with what is in the train and getting to the front and seizing control of the engine. When the rebels, those that have survived, get to the engine room, their leader confronts the man who conducts the train. And the conductor tells them, in one of those spooky scenes where the bad guy reveals how everything has been proceeding according to his evil plan, that in fact the entire rebellion was engineered by him for the purposes of thinning out the populations of the front and tail sections in order to bring the train's population back into equilibrium. And thus the rebel leader realizes that there is no changing the fundamental way that the train operates. There will always be privileged rulers and oppressed masses. However, the father and daughter that I mentioned before have different ideas because they have been observing the world outside of the train and they realize that the earth is warming just enough that perhaps people can live outside once again. So they blow up the engine room, derailing the train, and they set out to survive in an icy but seemingly habitable world. The movie, of course, is a metaphor for class conflict. The conflict between radical Islam and the West is not a class conflict per se. But the movie shows the importance of thinking outside of the box. The solution to the problem in the train is not to simply have the people from the rear seize control. That simply replaces one ruling group with another. Instead, the solution is to break out of the closed system of the train altogether, symbolized by the hope offered that the world was thawing just enough 
to make this possible. The book of Daniel, from which came the first reading, as well as the selection from the Gospel of Mark that we just read, are example of apocalyptic warnings in the Bible. Apocalypse doesn't mean the end of the world as we've commonly come to use it. Rather, an apocalypse in Greek is a word that means when something is uncovered that was, before that, hidden. It is translated in Latin as revelation, meaning a pulling back of a curtain in order to expose what was hidden beneath. That's why the last book of the New Testament is sometimes called the book of Revelation and sometimes the Apocalypse, depending on whether the translator favors the Latin or the Greek. What is being revealed or uncovered in Daniel and Mark is not a prediction about when the world will end. And Jesus, indeed, as Jesus says, we will not know the day or the hour, but rather it shows how and on what terms it will end. But they, it gives us a glimpse of the final order of God's creation for the purposes of transforming us in our present reality so that we can orient ourselves now towards what is of everlasting value. As Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. It's the teaching of Christ that we must cling to. It's the judgment of God that we must see as the defining question of our lives. And so fundamentally, the clash between the Western world and these radical jihadists will only be solved by rediscovering our Christian faith. In saying that, I am not at all trying to imply, as some have, that the West simply needs to embrace Christianity in order to be more resolved in dealing with jihadist threats, as though Christianity is simply a shiny new anti-terrorism tool. What I'm saying is, is that is, it is only by our Christian faith that we can be true peacemakers and justice seekers in the world. Only by our Christian faith will we have the discernment to recognize and correct the legitimate grievances that have contributed to Islam's illegitimate terrorist attacks and anti-Western mentalities. And it is only by our Christian faith that we can proceed with prudence and charity in negotiating peaceful relationships even with those people who do not accept Christ as their savior. And it is only by our Christian faith that we can justly and equitably pursue military action when it becomes necessary to address fundamental injustices. That's not to say that these things will be easy, but with a new Christian faith and hope, they at least become possible. Otherwise, we will merely continue on an endless cycle, like the train in Snowpiercer endlessly circling the globe on a fixed track, a secular West versus a radicalized jihad, locked in endless tribulation. We have to understand that Christ is the only way off that one-way track. The book of Daniel is meant to show the Israelites that there is hope amidst their suffering and persecution, because the promise of God is eternal life for the just, who shall shine brightly in the firmament of heaven. In Mark's gospel, Jesus reminds us that God will secure his elect, their place in the heavenly kingdom. Neither of these promises is meant to take people's eyes off the genuine problems in their present. We aren't meant to simply become Pollyannas awaiting the afterlife. Rather, these apocalyptic warnings are meant to orient us towards our faith in Christ, because that's the only way that we can affect real and lasting change in the world. So as we continue to pray for the dead and the suffering in Paris and for the victims of terrorism and oppression everywhere, we must resolve to transform our grief and our sense of vulnerability 
into Beatitude. Many people, it seems, sadly regard the Beatitudes as a formula for wimpiness or passivity in the face of attack and conflict, but this is completely wrong. Rather, the Beatitudes are the tools that every Christian needs to engage in the world valiantly, to confront and defeat injustice and suffering and violence. And so we we recall, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.